You're listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. In each episode, we'll share the customer experience stories and insights you need, straight from the sharpest minds in CX, to better connect with your customers and create customers for life. Let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to CX Confessions, the customer experience show. My name is Spike Jones, and I'm the general manager of strategic services at a place called Koros. And as always, I am joined by the incomparable, the amazing, the badass CMO of Koros, Miss Catherine Calvert. How's it going, Catherine? I am doing great after that intro, Spike. Thank you. I'm going to start bringing you around to all of my conversations. I mean, just as long as it checks in the mail, I'm good. How are things in San Francisco today? It is a sunny, beautiful day in San Francisco. How about Austin? It is also sunny. And speaking of sunny, there is a ray of sunshine that is joining us today. I've had the pleasure of knowing her for a, a while, a while. In fact, she was one of my first clients as we delved into the word of mouth marketing world. She has a long resume. When I knew her, she was the director of communications at a place called Fiskers. And ladies and gentlemen, if you ever want to know the poster child of how to build a word of mouth ambassador program, look up the Fisketeers. Just do me a favor. It's an amazing story. And not only has Suzanne Fanning taken that knowledge that she oversaw whenever she was running that program to other posts, now she is the CMO of Wisconsin Cheese and the Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin. Now, first of all, who don't like cheese? Cheese is like music. There is all these different kinds. Everybody's got their favorite, and you can't go wrong. And also, just FYI, the dairy industry just in Wisconsin is a $44 billion industry. Amazing. So I'm excited about the conversation ahead, what she has done, what she is currently doing, and we're going to talk all about that. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Suzanne Fanning. Welcome, Suzanne. Hi. Nice to know some things never change. Spike, always the charmer. <laughs> he is. We are so excited to have you here. I am a dairy addict. I love my cheese. I love Wisconsin cheese. So I'm going to ask you a question. I can't imagine that there is any problem that cheese has, but we know every brand has a problem. What would what did what was Wisconsin cheese's problem that you had to come in and think about solving? That is a great question. So when I first started, which was about four years ago, we did some initial research on our brand like marketers do. And we found out that when consumers think about cheese, think about Wisconsin and cheese, there was good news and bad news because Wisconsin did make them think of cheese, but really it made them think of like huge blocks of factory cheddar. They used words like ordinary, everyday, things like that. And in reality, Wisconsin wins more awards than any other state or country. We're the only place you can become a master cheesemaker outside of Switzerland. And Wisconsin makes about half of all the specialty cheese in the country. So like the problem that we had was that we had to close that perception gap. We had to let people know how truly amazing and fantastic Wisconsin cheese really, really is. So that has been the problem that we've been trying to solve through all of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. That is incredible. So how do you, so how do you do that? What was your, what was some of the big programs, activities? How did you start to tackle that perception gap? Because I just learned something. <laughs> 
there is like so much that we that we really needed to do and just decide who we were as a brand, what our brand voice was. We tested different key messages and reasons to believe in Wisconsin cheese with a variety of different consumers. We saw what really rose to the top and elevating perceptions. We've been driving those messages. We've been creating advertising. We've been working through digital SEO, created a new website. Oh, broke a Guinness world record. Just little things like that. The typical, the typical brand stuff. Well, I know that one of the, oh, sorry, I was going to say Spike. Well, I know one of the big breakthroughs was South by Southwest 2018. Can you tell us a little bit about that activation and what that really looked like? Sure. Boy, that was a good time. Okay. And I saw you spike down there. All right. So let's, let's talk about kind of what, what went into, what was happening there. When I started here, they had an event strategy and it was, they were very well behaved, right? And they did probably exactly what you would expect a cheese, any cheese company to do, go to like cheese festivals and get in a line with a bunch of six foot tables and have your little cubes of cheese and serve them with the other 200 six foot tables of people. The problem was when you looked at it, like we weren't standing out. I mean, we were drowning in a sea of sameness and that just was not like, we couldn't do it. We were too special. We couldn't, we couldn't do that. And I remember kind of looking at all those tables and all those people. And it just, I said, never again, now we're going to always stand out. And so we wrote an events strategy that was all about standing out. We were never going to do anything like that again. We were only going to go to places where we could tell our stories, where we were with the right kind of brands and potentially where we were the only cheese there. So, Hey, why give consumers a choice? (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So that led us to, we said, all right, South by Southwest is the place that brands go to launch the newest, the greatest, the latest, new ideas, thought starters. It's where people talk about things. And we just had this, you know, crazy idea. Like, why not go to South by Southwest where the biggest brands go to play and launch ideas with to launch this idea that Wisconsin cheese really is the best cheese in the world. And we're going to prove it to you. So we decided we would go and do the the Instagram worthy thing, right? Because you have to be Instagram worthy. So we said, all right, we're going to build the world's longest cheese board and have there as a lounge because who wouldn't want to take a picture with the world's longest cheese board. And for us as a brand, it wasn't just about doing something gigantic or gimmicky. It was really about the fact that on that 80 feet of cheese board that was going around the room, we could put all of these different cheeses. In fact, thousands of pounds. So people walked in and they were shocked. They're like, holy moly. This isn't giant blocks of cheddar. This is incredibly gourmet. And this is soaked in wine. And this like is frying my tongue with this rattlesnake. And I mean, they're like, who knew? Who knew? Yeah, it was. So yeah, I got to I got to go. It was amazing. I had and I had to know someone to get in because the the line was hundreds of people deep. And you're I mean, it was like on the second floor of the JW Marriott. And there's there's all these other activations going on all around you. But the kudos and the recognition that y'all got was pretty impressive. No doubt. It was crazy, right? So like after, I mean, we, you know, big brands go there and they say, wow, I don't know. I've only got $6 million. How am I going to make a dent in the conversation? I mean, we had basically no budget. I'm going to be honest with you, but we did have like really great cheese and a really cool idea. And that, that helped us out. People were talking about it. And after, I mean, the whole time, I think we were kind of stunned because yeah, people would wait in line for hours. They were taking pictures. It was dominating the conversation. And Elon Musk was there that year. 
year, This Is Us was the number one TV show that year. They were there. And after the event, if you Googled Elon Musk, it said, Elon Musk and Wisconsin Cheese, what I did at South By. If you Googled This Is Us, it said, This Is Us and Wisconsin Cheese, the coolest things at South By. I was like, what? What? You can't buy that. You can't buy that. That's incredible. The strategy worked well for us. Yeah. And, and you know, you, you hear rarely do you hear like this brand won South by Southwest. And that was, was so impressive. But, you know, and, and, you know, those of us that have been to many, many, many South by's have seen just what you talked about, Suzanne, is like all these, these brands spend millions and millions of dollars and it's a flop. No one shows up because it's a sea of sameness because everybody's trying to stand out and everybody's, try, everybody's trying to throw the biggest and the best and the greatest. How do you, now I know you're a risk taker. I know there is very little you're afraid of. It's one of the things I love about you and I wish there were more CMOs like you. But how do you go to your to your CEO, your board and say, hey, here's what we're gonna go do that no one's done before. I mean, what, what, what was that like for an experience? I get that question a lot. I do a lot of speaking around the country and I think that's probably the number one question that I get asked. And I think that the most important thing for me is to go in well-prepared. So you've got to have some case studies. And maybe nobody did exactly what you're going to do, but there's probably somebody out there, if you do your research, who did something kind of similar. And so even with like building the Fisketeers back in the day, I talked about what Maker's Mark had done and how they had like this amazing following and they brought their ambassadors to Mecca and they got to dip the bottle in the, in the wax. I mean, like all the special stuff. And we said, all right, we're going to create something just kind of like this, you know, and we're going to have this incredible following. And so going in with a case study really, really helps. And then like a great plan. And if you belong to any kind of marketing associations, if you read marketing books, marketing blogs, follow marketing experts, there are wonderful case studies and sources of inspiration everywhere. And so be just very, very informed, be very prepared. And the thing that I think really takes you over the edge is passion. So when you present your ideas, your CEO can look at you and say, man, like definitely this person is going to make it happen. Like they are going to, to take it all the way. It's a do or die mission. And I can tell, and I'm that way when people present stuff to me, you know, if, if, if they have that passion, even if I'm uh, on the borderline about the idea, if I see that they're going to do it, no matter what comes that I'm like, all right, we're going to, we're going to give this a try. I love that. You really have to see the conviction in the team that's going to make it come to life. That's a really good management tip. I'm going to write that one down. You know, the show is called CX, the customer experience show, and we talk about creating connection with customers, whether you're a B2B, B2C, there are few things more personal than what you're really passionate about. I am very passionate about cheese. A lot of people are. Food is very personal. You created these incredible experiences in person at South by Last year, it went virtual. How do you make that kind of a pivot? Well, early on, and, and I would have to back up even before South by because early on in the pandemic, we had this community, and I assume we'll probably talk about this a little bit a little bit more later, but it's called Cheeselandia. And we had been doing house parties across the country and letting people invite their friends over to try their Wisconsin cheeses. And then they would all like share their experiences and things and what they liked and what they didn't like. And so that program had been going really, really well for us. And we had this incredible fan base across the country. We also were doing like pop-up events across the country. So when the pandemic hit, like 
our fans really missed us and they missed each other and they missed that connection that the cheese was giving them. So they were giving us feedback like, hey, what can we do? Like we're in the middle of pandemic. Everything is over. Can we at least have some cheese together? And so we, you know, I've got a great event person here. And so we talked about it and we decided, all right, we're going to launch a series of virtual events, but they're going to have to be great because these these Zoom virtual events are not going to be the same as Zoom meetings. They've got to be like over the top spectacular. And so we asked people what they wanted and we put together boxes of cheese and sent them out across the country. We would have anywhere from like 300 to a thousand people who would join us and eat the cheese together. And we, we would do what they wanted to do. So in some cases they said, we would love to see like inside of a cheese cave. So we took them with a cheesemaker down into the depths of a cheese cave and had a, a cheesemaker show them the art of affinage. So that was kind of cool. They told us they wanted to have cooking demos. So we brought them the host of Wisconsin Foodie, who was a James Beard nominated chef. And we cooked with him with Wisconsin cheese. So we provided a series of events. We even had regional fondue nights and, and things like that. So we had really gotten to like master making a virtual event feel like an in-person event. And so when South by kind of came to us and said, you know what, we really want you guys to come back because they reached out to us because they knew, knew that we did some like wild and crazy things and we're going to make, they made us a deal we couldn't refuse. And so we said, all right, darn it, we're going to, we're going to come back. <laughs> and we came back with virtual. Now for virtual, we thought it was a little different because we thought we need a little bit of a hook. But we believe totally in authenticity, and we wanted to find somebody who was a true Wisconsin cheese fan. And that true Wisconsin cheese fan that we found was Nick Offerman. Oh, celebrity crush, celebrity crush, yeah. Right? And we thought, like, it was the perfect intersection because he was somebody that the South By crowd would really like, but he was also somebody from the Midwest who really was a fan of our product. And he even told us, you know, we sent a, a pitch out to him and he said, I don't usually do things like this, but because I love cheese and I believe in helping dairy farmers and this is core to who I am, this kind of Midwest cheese-loving person... I will, I will do this for you. And so it was, it was pretty, pretty incredible. I will, I have to say. I just got chills. That's so neat. Yeah, it was good. And again, we tried to like build as much real life stuff into it as we possibly could. So we had like, we sent them a, a kit and they had paddles in it. So we like played a game and they had to like hold up the paddles to give their answers. One said this and one said that. And that way we could look across the entire crowd that was online. We gave them kazoos and we had a professional musician write music for us, the cheesing around music. And we sent out an online tutorial beforehand and said, learn the official song because in Nick's contract, we have to welcome him with a band of kazoos. And so they had their kazoos out and like they played for Nick Offerman when he came. So it was, yeah, so little things like that that just made it incredibly fun. And, and it went over. And once again, to your point, like, yeah, we loved it. We had consumers saying, wow, Wisconsin cheese won South by Southwest. <laughs> so yay. Wow. Uh, so three things. One, I'm not aware that South by asked many brands to, hey, come back. That was awesome. Let's do that again. B, was it, did you put it in his contract for the Band of Kazoos or did he put it in his contract for the Band of Kazoos? Why, Spike, that was marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And three, good choice on celebrity because just like Cheese, there is nobody who does not like him. So really, really cool. So you did touch on it a little bit of Cheeselandia. So I'd love to hear more about that. And one of the things that I always enjoyed working with you on is you know, whenever we were building communities, that idea of the ethos of community, truly what is a community and it's bringing like-minded people together to celebrate their passions, no matter their backgrounds, no matter their walks of life. It is just, we have this one thing in common, let's celebrate it and celebrate how we all uh, are passionate about it. So can you talk a little bit more about the community, please? Yeah, absolutely. So we did want to take it just far beyond what, I mean, there, there I would say there are a couple things here to, to talk about. One is sometimes when brands talk about community, they talk about like their Facebook community and social media is, is great, right? But we wanted to go further than that. So we wanted to have a personal connection with these people. And that's why we built in these events where we actually meet them. I mean, we have met several of them in person. We know them personally. I mean, we are on Instagram events together and meet up in real life together. I mean, it's incredible. A lot of the Cheeselandians actually went to some of the South by Southwest activations. So there were people all over the country who just loved Wisconsin cheese for one reason or another, because they were, they were expats. Maybe they're originally from here. Maybe they had family who was here. And so it's like, oh, that person who always comes from Wisconsin and brings like the giant cooler full of amazing cheese, or maybe they had just been like vacationing and they had driven through Wisconsin. And you know, in Wisconsin, you can get amazing cheese at gas stations. I mean, it's just incredible. Like, yeah, it's just so great. And so they just remember. It's just kind of that thing. We like to say that every single cheese has a story to tell. And there are so many great stories of the cheeses in Wisconsin. So we searched for those people. We kind of, we started our community by putting out a very ambiguous little ad that said, Hey, are you chipper for cheddar? Are you giddy for Gouda? Maybe you're the person we're looking for. And people like started like reaching out to us. And and again, like we were sort of secretive. We didn't say we were going to do anything. We didn't want to pay anybody. We didn't want to take the route that like a lot of brands take where they find somebody who's a huge influencer and has hundreds of thousands of fans. We just looked for people who like have that authentic love for Wisconsin cheese. We looked for people who were like really great storytellers initially. We looked for people who were like real world social, which is funny because is there real world, real, uh, real world social right now? I don't even know, but <laughs> you know, so, so we weren't looking for that like huge social media following. We, we were looking for micro-influencers. And so these people kind of came together, enjoyed it. They love showing off their cheese boards. Again, I would say our fans amaze us. And so we would have these, you know, cheese events and people do at home, do their own massive spreads and like send us pictures. It's, it's amazing. Or, or they'll show it. We have people who like make signs. It's just it just blows me away every single time. This is not like a, a low touch community. This is a very highly engaged, involved group who, who, and they're passionate, so passionate. What's interesting about that is that, is that you're not looking for millions of people. You're looking for really quality stories from the people that are most, most passionate about it. It's not a volume game for the need that you're trying to deliver here. 
That's great. If anything, other than that, like initial push where we kind of looked for the first few people to have house parties, other than that push, and I will say, this is kind of interesting. So we had people in 48 out of 50 states apply to be Cheeselandians out of that very first initial, like super secret push. And now of course we do have Cheeselandians in all 50 states and, and some other countries. So it's really great. But yeah, it was never a numbers game for us in any way. It was about having people who were, who were going to be super engaged. And that's how we measure our success is by having those passionate people who were spreading, who were just naturally spreading our message. We've even got Cheeselandians now who were so into it that they're going on television in their local markets, like on morning shows, like good morning, Arizona, and, and saying, okay, here's how you make a Wisconsin cheese board. So it's, it's pretty incredible all the ways that they, that they share their passion. They review our recipes online. We had a couple really engaged Cheeselandians who just did their own community meetup live on Instagram last week for National Cheese Lovers Day. So we didn't even host it. I mean, it was, it was them. Um, so and recently incredible. recognized, I know you're too bashful to say this, but that She's Landia was recently won the best influencer campaign of the year from Ad Week, oh, right? So that is pretty I'm awesome. Too bashful to say that, Catherine? Are you kidding? <laughs> well, let me say it for you and give you some extra kudos for it because that is, yeah. Yeah, you know, we were blown away by that. Yeah, to be, and, and that's not something that we applied for. That's something that Ad Age like sought us out, found it, and, and announced it. And I don't know if you noticed the other winners in there, but they were, again, huge companies like Procter & Gamble, Peloton, Zoom. I mean, they were they were some some really big dogs. And then here's Little Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin that that won for that. I mean, we were all just completely amazed and stunned. And it was, it was incredible. Such an honor and, and huge thank you to Ad Age for sure. Well, well-deserved and congratulations. I think that that award and, and the others kind of reflect this lens that you've taken with this opportunity that is going against the grain, thinking differently. So here's a question we ask all our guests. What is a commonly held belief or industry practice that you passionately disagree with? Oh, that's an easy one for me. And it is that you have to have a huge budget to do something really, really cool. I think looking back over my career, the things that I am the very most proud of are the things that had the teeniest, tiniest budgets. And we just had to say, all right, we don't have a lot of money, so let's put our heads together and come up with something really, really insane that's gonna work. Let's do something really, really cool and give it all we have. We're not just gonna write a check, we're, we're in it together. And the teams would come together and, and magical things would truly happen. And I think Along with that, you've taken things that some might consider ordinary throughout your career and made them extraordinary through the, the, the thought process, which has been really cool. The other question that we always ask, because it is CX Confessions, so we, we need a confession. What is a hard lesson you've learned? Something maybe that didn't go the way that you thought that it would, that you took and made better next time, or, or you learned from it and then did again, and it was awesome the next time because of the lessons? That's a great question. I think as marketers, we all spend a lot of time trying to write the perfect message, the perfect points and wrap them up in a nice tidy little package. And that's what we want to present to the world. When you take an approach like this and you're literally putting your brand in the hands of consumers and in the hands of fans, like 
they're, they're not going to stick to your messages. And, and we don't like, we don't ever hand someone a list of talking points. Like that would be super weird. This is a fan club. These are just cheese lovers. Like they don't work for us. And so when they do go on TV and some other places, they probably will, you know, say some things wrong or use the wrong knife to cut the cheese or like whatever. And that's like totally fine. And I think that that's probably a hard lesson for all marketers to learn to, to give up control. I remember, oh, well, it's, it's kind of funny. So like you guys have probably heard the, the joke about, I told my kids I was older than Google and they thought I was kidding. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's so true. So I am older than social media, clearly. And I remember when social media just started like being a thing and brands all over, I mean, and this will come as a shock to some of the younger marketers out there, but brands all over were like, I don't think so. Like, no, we can't let consumers, we're not going to have a, a page where anybody can say anything. No, my gosh, what could happen? They could say something mean. Exactly. And I think that was the number one fight that all marketers had to fight like back in the day. So it was really, really interesting. But it all, it again, it comes down to relinquishing that control to your consumers. And I think when you do that, when you stop being like such a control freak, like we're just hardwired to do really incredible things can happen. It can be fantastic. Mm -hmm. and, and I was going to ask a follow-up, but I think you just answered it. So we've had, our, our guests have been from the fashion world, B2B, the toy industry. So very, very diverse. But I mean, even just through your stories, and again, I think you just answered it. What's the, and so some people might listen and go, what can I learn from cheese, a cheese, a cheese company, a dairy? What, I, what, what am I going to learn? What would be your advice uh, when it comes to that common thread that runs through any industry, any relationships that you have with customers, any community? Can you provide a little insight there? I think it really is just, it comes down to knowing your fans, to knowing who they are and what they want, and then listening to them. So just being that person who does the research and you're like, okay, like I have it in a bucket. I'm going to name my fan Peggy. And she is 35 years old and does this and reads that. Like, and like, that's not enough. Like you have to like meet Peggy and sit down to dinner with Peggy and like maybe look at her fridge and see how she keeps her cheese drawer organized so that you really get it. Um, I think that's that's the thing that, that a lot of marketers miss is like get out of the laboratory, you know? Great advice. And thank you for all the stories you've shared. Speaking of getting to know people, we always like to wrap up our show with a few personal questions so we can get to know Suzanne Fanning a little bit better. We have five questions we ask everybody. Welcome to Quickfire. I'm going to go first. What was your first concert? Ooh, okay. The first one I went to see was U2. I will not tell you like what... Was that U2, Spike? <laughs> You know what? And it was amazing. I know this is quick fire, but I'm not really that fast. So I'm going to tell you this quick story. I saw it at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And just I'm saying it just in case anybody else was at this concert, because you too will remember this. I mean, it was incredible. And it was pouring rain. And so everybody was completely drenched, which only made it like more fun because I was a kid. So that was amazing. So we're all standing out there getting totally drenched and it starts lightning, which, you know, anybody with sense goes inside. But Bono decided there was a metal pole that was like holding the stage up. So he climbed the metal pole and screamed to the heavens for lightning to strike him. I mean, it was for our first concert, it was pretty spectacular. <laughs> Oh, that's a really high bar for future concerts. That's pretty cool. I have so many comments. So next question, what was your first job? 
my <laughs> my first job was I was Stephen King's pool girl. What? What? <laughs> Elaborate, please. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll, no. <laughs> Wait, say more say more about that. You need we need we need more. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. The Stephen King. Yes. He uh, moved down to North Carolina to uh, film a movie, direct a movie that was called Maximum Overdrive, I believed. And so I was his pool girl that took care of his pool that summer. <laughs> The first time I met him, he was just so everybody knows it was interesting. He was wearing a t-shirt that was one of the t-shirts that's printed with a tuxedo. So that's how he opened his front door to greet me. Okay. You are clearly a person who loves what you do, but if you couldn't do what you're doing today, what profession other than your own would you attempt? Oh, I always thought it would be so fun to be a professional singer. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? But I can't sing at all. So that's why I'm a marketer. That's usually my answer too. And I need, I need the voice that comes with it. I can't just get popped up onto stage. Yeah. Okay. Next question. What is your favorite app on your phone? Am I going to lose cool points if I say it's Pinterest? <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. Not no. at all. I love Pinterest. I think it's fantastic. And it's so fun. And I, I remember when I was young, before there was Pinterest, again, older than Pinterest, I used to love like going through magazines or finding ideas and I would put them in like different binders. So it's like, here, here are ideas for food. Here are ideas for clothes. Here are ideas for parties. And so I'm like, why didn't I invent that dang thing? I did it. <laughs> I love it. I still have some binders somewhere and some old poster boards. Okay. Last question. What is your biggest indulgence? Definitely cheese. No, <laughs> I mean, that feels like a layup. Yep. Uh, yeah, no, but I, I mean, I think I can probably go beyond that. And I would say like cooking and entertaining. I am the, anybody who has been to my house can tell you, I am like the most over the top entertainer, even like during the pandemic, just for my family, I would have brunches with menus and like these elaborate, like all kinds of like desserts and fancy drip cakes and croquembouche. And I mean, it was homemade donuts and special cocktails and decor. I mean, like to the point of being insane, just because I really, really love doing that. So I'd say cooking and entertaining would be my, my biggest indulgence. So big plans now that the world is opening up. Do you have your party calendar set? I'm hosting two baby showers this summer though. So that's exciting. And so one of them will be on Zoom and one of them will be in my backyard. So we'll see. Nice. <laughs> Well, based on what you already shared, you have already cracked the code on how to make Zoom meetings feel very special. So that is a lucky baby who gets to be uh, the recipient of the love on that shower. All right. Well, it was so great to hear from you. Thank you so much for sharing your stories. Thank you for telling us a little bit about yourself. I'm going to go figure out how to get my passport to Cheeselandia, but thank you for being here. Hey, just go to cheeselandia.com and sign up. It's not that hard. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Hey, and be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform. You can find us anywhere, at the Apples, the Googles, wherever, we, wherever you are, we are too. But also, we want to hear from you. We want your feedback, and not just the good, also what we can do better, ideas for guests, you name it. We are all ears, and we thank you in advance for that feedback. Thanks so much for being here, Sue. All right. Thank you, Spike. Nice to meet you, Catherine. Nice to meet you, too. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time on CX Confessions. 
Your customers expect to be understood. Their likes and dislikes, their history with your brand, and their communication preferences. But so many companies struggle to connect the dots of interaction across their own teams and channels, and it's creating customer experience challenges and disasters. That's where Koros can help. Koros is the award-winning customer engagement platform built to turn those siloed interactions with your customer into enterprise value. Koros works with more than 2,000 of the world's leading brands and powers more than 500 million digital interactions every day. Koros is the award-winning platform for digital-first customer engagement. Ready to create human connection across the digital customer experience to create customers for life? Learn more at Koros.com. Thanks for listening to CX Confessions, brought to you by Koros. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. See you next time.